The Athletic. I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show sponsored by LiveScore. This week, how much thought do you really put into your choice of goalkeeper? Are you like me? Do you just look at the handling stats, check his tool on the six foot two and get on with it? We're doing it wrong. The dream team of Nick Madden and CJ Ramson are here to reveal the marginal goalkeeper gains that could really save your season. And, talking of seasons that need saving, it's the first week of the Community Challenge with Derby County. Still think it's funny to make silly suggestions, do you? You're laughing on the other side of your face now, aren't you? This is awful. Well, fortunately, we've got Elias Burke from The Athletic here for guidance. Plus, we're taking a trip back to 2007 with LiveScore's Legends of the Game. But which famous Belgian are we profiling today? Find out later. But first, Nick Madden, welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me, Ian. It's nice to be back on the pod. The honour is all ours. CJ Ramson, we're going to have to start charging you rent. You're on the show so much. How are you? (laughs) I love it here. I love it here, but I'm happy to be back. Thank you. Excellent stuff. Right. This this is a funny one because this is something that probably gets less attention from players and training routines. Goalkeepers. CJ, are we all doing goalkeepers wrong? Are we just throwing them in without thinking about it? I think generally we have the right idea. We kind of know the key attributes that we want to look for. So the handling, the reflexes, making sure they do what they're in the team to do and um, stop goals going into the back of the net. But I think there's a bit more that we can kind of look at with the goalkeepers, especially in possession and what they can do for the team. Now, particularly, Nick, is this a question of matching the ideology of the team to the qualities of the player? Because I am looking at Ergakan Sakir, and I'm almost certainly not pronouncing that right even now. And he has a rushing out tendency of six. I mean, he's the best goalkeeper in the world, but a rushing out tendency of six. Now, I don't play him as a sweeper keeper, but I'd never even looked at that before. You know, these attributes, like, say, the rushing out, with him being a normal goalkeeper, he won't be as sort of like needed to come off his line. But with a sweeper keeper, you sort of need them to come off the line. And that will help them with the angles that they choose when they come off the line, as well as like their willingness to come and actually get the ball and be a bit higher up as well. well just breaking it down into basics, Nick, what, what's the difference between a sweeper keeper and a normal goalkeeper? A normal goalkeeper is your generic keeper in the game where you know they're there to be the the shot stopper as they sort of like say in the media a lot like oh he's a great shot stopper and that's sort of what our goalkeeper is likes to beat away shots save it however they can and distribute usually like quite long and into the channels and clear whereas the the sweeper keeper is much higher starting position much more of a tendency to come out win the ball and to also be part of the build-up phase um, in possession. And especially we've got him in the transitional instructions for the goalkeeper and how they distribute. That's um, really, really important, depending on sort of what what role you're picking and um, what duties you've got your goalkeeper on. 
Now, CJ, we've we've spoken many times and we've established that I carry heavy traces of proper football man in my mentality. <laughs> uh, it won't surprise you to know that I don't generally use a sweeper keeper. Sweeper keeper attack. How insane is it to use that? Or can that actually be a, a real difference maker? As long as you have the, the right player for the role, then it can definitely be a key, a key role to use in your tactic. When you match it with a high line or kind of high possession tactic, it can really do well. If you have a keeper that has good passing attributes, sometimes this is one where eccentricity can actually be a benefit as you want them to kind of come off their line and get involved in build-up play. And especially out of possession too, if you're a team that plays with a high line and you're getting caught with kind of balls over the top, you almost want your sweeper-keeper attack to have a high starting position so he can come and sweep up the balls and save you. See, I do frequently get caught out like that. So sweeper-keeper attack is basically Edison for Man City, right? Yeah, it's as extreme as you can get your goalkeeper to come off his line and play attacking, but he won't be actually involved in the opposition half doing attacks either. For older listeners, think Bruce Grobelaar in the 80s, who was quite eccentric, quite wild, and frequently caught out of possession way outside of his uh, his penalty area. CJ, talk, talk us through some of the other stats. I mean, distribution is, is a key thing. Now, this is one thing that I, I do look at. I like a goalkeeper to quickly throw the ball out to the fullback so we can start attacks from there. Is throwing accuracy or is throwing a kind of willingness to throw? A lot of it depends, especially on how good their passing is, I've I've realised. So I had a goalkeeper who didn't have the best passing, but he had good throwing. So I set all of my kind of distribution to throwing attributes and kind of kept the ball away from his feet. Where I'd also had the other side where he's got really good passing and kicking attributes, but not so great at throwing. So um, the actual throwing itself will come down to the accuracy. And then if you've got kind of quick distribution instead of a slow down the game set and... Um, you're playing kind of counter-attacking football, then naturally they'll look to get their attack started quickly. Now, Nick, you in your role with Sports Interactive, you'll, you'll often receive the full force of any criticism on the match engine. Part of your job, part of your team's job is to essentially like road test tactics, see what works and what doesn't. So one thing that came up in the office while we were discussing this show yesterday was goalkeepers in set pieces. Is this something you check for? Can it be done? Well, it definitely can be done because that was one of them. Um, one of the bugs that we did actually fix for the first major update was that um, some of our lovely content creators out there were and um, fans of the game were putting their goalkeeper up for set pieces. We've made a number of changes to like marking over the years, and you know, um, as you're coding all that stuff, you think, okay, let's get all the players marking each other, but nobody ever coded it to for them to pick up the goalkeeper specifically at set piece types so yeah that was a complete sort of red herring there and we managed to fix it very quick it obviously created a bit of destruction and um, also gave a lot of <laughs> laughs and memes and you know obviously that this is a simulation world and we want it, it to be as like accurate in real life but also some people are going to treat it like a game and an escape and people are going to try wonderful things and we've seen goalkeepers score in the past and in real life, but maybe not to the majority <laughs> or, you know, the number that they were kicking up in some saves. So I'm glad we finally fixed that one. And now the goalkeeper does get marked, but they can still be chucked up for those set pieces late in the game. I know that if you go sort of, if you are on very attacking mentality and you do get a set piece late in the game, that some managers and sometimes the AI it will throw up the goalkeeper as well to try and force that bit of extra chaos in the last minutes of the game if you're chasing it 
Now, one thing I really want to discuss is training of, of goalkeepers because this has advanced quite a lot. So when you're coaching goalkeepers, the coaches have departments for attributes, don't they? Distribution, I guess, is pretty simple to explain. Handling and shot-stopping, what's the difference with these? With the goalkeeper coaches, they have two sessions that they're sort of responsible for, as you highlighted, which is the shot-stopping and the handling. Shot-stopping is... It will also help improve some of the strikers as well, because obviously they're shooting at the goalkeeper, sort of like quick reactions, reflexes, whereas handling, it's more about the technique of coming to like get more crosses and um, like coming off their line and, you know, that tendency to maybe come and punch the ball, trying to recreate those situations, not just about them sort of palming away the ball and saving it with sort of any body parts. Also, can they come and claim it? and keep that ball close to their chest and not parry the ball away. And when it comes to coaching, I've just noticed I've clearly asked my assistant to assign. And um, I mean, it's Steve Bald, so I'm not going to get too upset about this. But he's put two goalkeeper coaches on shot stopping and the under-23s goalkeeper coach on handling, which seems the wrong way of splitting up the responsibility here. Is there like an optimum level for managing this? Is it better to kind of have a good goalkeeper coach for shot stopping, a good goalkeeper coach for handling and maybe throw someone else in on both to lighten the workload. The stars on the like the coach rating workload is always like quite useful to look at. In my current save of South End at the moment though, I only have one goalkeeper coach. So, you know, I'm overworking poor old Reese in the in the sticks, but <laughs> it, it definitely having someone at least responsible for that one core session is always useful and it sort of helps bump up those stars and you know it doesn't give such a heavy workload to your coaching staff and you can make a big difference can't you cj with with good coaching targeted coaching to either pick out weak spots you can really kick your goalkeepers on yeah it's one of the areas of the game i always try to pay attention to especially the star ratings on the training kind of don't really like to have situations where you don't really have the coaches balance so if i can i'll ask my board for extra coaches and try and get kind of the increased specialization around the around the different areas especially with the goalkeeper coaches because it's kind of split into more than one area so yeah, definitely something to focus on. All right, that is the subject of goalkeeping, something, as I say, I think most of us have just completely taken for granted. But in this game, where the finest of margins can make a difference between you getting sacked and you being able to carry on playing, it could prove important. Uh, CJ, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's more than a score with live score. Legends of the game. So, what's all this about then? Well, with live score, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action, stats, and analysis from around the world. Because we know with football, it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands, players and fans all spinning their own strand to the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. And because we've been doing it for so many years, we've made a few memories. Welcome to Legends of the Game. Now this week, it's the other right back you always bought. It's Anthony van den Boer. I first came across van den Boer on FMO7, where my scouts recommended him every month for six months straight. 
I wasn't actually going to buy him because I like a quick fullback and they were plenty faster. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Van den Boer was generally available for about £1 million from Anderlecht. He was worth five times that much, even from the start. But by thunder, if you cultivated him, if you cared for him, if you slowly built him up, he could be one of the best right-backs in the world. In fact, he could be one of the best anythings in the world. He was so versatile that he could play at right wing, or in the centre of midfield, or even as an emergency centre-back. He was the reason why my Norwich side didn't just consolidate their Premier League status, they made it into the Champions League. In reality, Van den Boer fell short of such heady heights. Having made his debut for Anderlecht at the age of 16, he was one of the most highly rated young talents in Belgian football, which was really saying something in 2007. In fact, some people felt he was an even more promising prospect than his teammate and friend, a certain Vincent Company. But Van den Boer didn't always seem comfortable with life as a professional footballer. He enraged his manager when he shaved his own initials into his head. He made headlines when he publicly criticised the club psychologist. And he was eventually moved on to Fiorentina for just €4 million, Euros, one of those intriguing deals in which both parties think they've robbed the other one. Sadly for Fiorentina, it was Anderlecht who got the better end of that bargain. Van den Boer, struggling with personal problems after the death of his mother, just didn't cut the mustard. He spent a spell at Genoa and was shipped out to Portsmouth where he fell just as flat. He went back to Belgium to sign with Genk shortly after being caught doing 153 miles an hour on the motorway. But he won the title there. And then he returned to Anderlecht. Then he retired, citing a lack of motivation. He returned two months later to play in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He retired again. He came out of retirement again to play for Anderlecht again and was last seen in a furious legal row with the former standardly Asian Cholton Athletic owner Roland Ducatellet. But you know what? We'll always have our memories. For one million pounds, Anthony van den Boer might have been one of the best bargains of all time. And that was It's More Than a Score with Live Score Legends of the Game. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the Live Score app. And it's completely free. So just search for it on the App Store or Google Play now. Have you still never subscribed to The Athletic? Do you want it for £1 a month for six months to try it out? <laughs> Why the hell not? You'll get the award-winning Daniel Taylor here. He just picked up an SGA for his work with The Athletic. And there's talent everywhere. We've got at least one writer for every Premier League club and plenty more elsewhere. Come on, it's six quid. You'll pay more than that for a pint. If you're unlucky enough to live in London, visit theathletic.com forward slash fmpod now. That's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. Six quid. Why are you even thinking about it? Well, the Football Manager Show Community Challenge has now begun. If you've missed a couple of episodes, it's very simple. We all just became the Derby County Manager and you are more than welcome to join us because misery loves company. There are no real rules per se, but if, if you want to play along, you know, to canon then it's obviously the new update of Football Manager. So you start with a 21-point deficit. We look to play six months of game time every week so that we all progress roughly at the same time. But, you know, if that's too much, just go at your own pace. And if you really want to crack on and get five seasons deep, hey, knock yourselves out. If you're still Derby Manager in five seasons, you're obviously 
doing very, very well. I am joined, I'm delighted to say, by the Athletics Derby County correspondent, Elias Burke. Elias, how's it going? I'm good. Is that how am I going or is that how the save's going? Because that's a different answer. <laughs> There's a lot to get into, isn't it? You're the only person who is is got this kind of duality of misery in that you're trying to do it for yourself and your job is just to follow Derby County trying to do it in real life so I think you deserve more sympathy than producer Steve hello producer Steve hello hello you're playing along as well I am well playing is that yeah I'm enduring trudging trudging (laughs) along (laughs) all right medals on table Steve how well are you doing so far oh very badly very badly um I took Ellis's advice and started with the back three situation, which obviously was very dependent on Craig Forsyth at left wing back <laughs> due to lack of squad depth issues. Got to about a week before the whole season proper began and he was sold. That doesn't help. That definitely doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. So I basically wasted my entire pre-season training formation that can't really do anymore. So... I've lost a lot of games. I lost a lot of games. Are you still bottom at the end of the year? Very, very bottom. Very <laughs> bottom. I'm surprised I haven't been sacked, if I'm honest, because I would sack me. This is a very interesting thing, but I'll come back to that later. Elias, you're the expert. How are you doing? I think, Steve, the problem is they don't have the money to sack you. I think I think that's what it is. <laughs> um, similar thing with me, to be honest. So I'm in, I'm in December at the moment, and actually it all started so well. I think in... Early October, or late October rather, I was out of the points deficit, so I had positive points again. I think my record at that point was seven wins, four draws and three defeats, which is, you know, I think we would have been like fourth or or third by, you know, if uh, points deductions notwithstanding. We're now in December and our record is seven wins, four draws and nine defeats. Um, (laughs) So we've gone on quite the run of defeats of late, which is obviously not encouraging for me or my manager prospects but as you say I'm not sure they've actually got the money to sack you at the moment so I think it's <laughs> I think our jobs are safe <laughs> are, are you still bottom yes unfortunately so as I say we as soon as we got into that positive points it all kind of dropped off pretty significantly for me but I think it's one of those where as soon as you get a couple of injuries or a couple of suspensions then it all kind of changes very, very quickly and you realise just really how does. thin your squad is. Yeah, I started really well. We actually won three of our first four games, largely due to Curtis Davis near post headers for corners. Yeah. And also because of Tom Lawrence, who's brilliant at set pieces and was like the creative outlet that we needed. So I was quietly confident, but then the takeover went through and the new owner, he cleared a, a lot of the debts. There's still quite a hefty CVA there to, to deal with, but... No money, like zero money and zero percent of any revenue that came in. Arsenal came in for Tom Lawrence quite quickly. And you know what? The, the boy's, boy's been desperate for a return to the Premier League. I couldn't stand in his way. That three million quid just vanished into a black hole. And uh, that's precisely where my form went through September, October and November. I only won two games, both very fortunate. However, I kept on tweaking with the tactics I kept on uh, blooding young players from the under-23 squad, making sure that training complemented the style of football that we were playing, working those set pieces for, for everything I could get from them. And in December, it all turned around. I won four games and drew the other one. And I'm now second from bottom, which I'm quite happy with, to be honest. It's not as good as Alex Stewart, who would have qualified for the playoffs, 
if he hadn't have had that points deduction. And we do have one report of a player who has been promoted with a 21-point penalty. Uh, his name is Nath. You can read about him tomorrow, actually. A big article on The Athletic about the community challenge with loads and loads of tweets and screenshots of, of how people are, are getting on. And, and Nath is very gracious. He puts it down to an awful lot of luck and not getting injuries. But there's a promotion there. So that's amazing that it can be done. We've had so many messages. It is now the the larger part of my day job going through these messages now. So we've got Travis Wales, who's gone very simple, middle of the road, 4411, prioritising team cohesion and tactical familiarity. That's absolutely the way to go. Kurtz Davis and Tom Lawrence playing very well before unfortunately picking up long-term injuries. He's still just about on track for survival, but he was interested to see how others were dealing with Ravel Morrison, who basically wanted, so Travis says, to throw down in the car park after I questioned his training performances. Steve, how have you got on with Ravel? He has been in and out of fitness for me, to be honest. It's one of those sort of niggly things where he'll like get 45 minutes of like match action going, so you can't start him, but you can bring him on, and then he'll pick something up and so he's been in and out of the team which I suppose in a way it sounds like he's a mixed blessing because he's got his ability but he's one of the I mean one of the few achievements I think I've had on this save so far is that I've not had a full-blown mutiny in the dressing room I've managed to sort of keep people a bit less unhappy at the whole situation from a but I did choose motivator as my sort of key skill (laughs) set right at the start so frustratingly flitting in and out would be summary I think. Much the same here and I didn't have any problems with him but the rest of the team kept complaining about how appalling the atmosphere was so I went to Squad Dynamics and looked at the social groups and Ravel is in a group all on his own which I'm guessing is like that those old stories from QPR where people were eating their sandwiches in their car rather than sit with their teammates so I had to get shot of him he was very very inconsistent but Elias in real life he's not been inconsistent has he? He's, he's doing well right now as of right now, he's he's certainly he's, he's come right into form as you know as we're recording this podcast really. So on the weekend on Saturday, Derby had a massive match against Barnsley. You know your typical relegation six pointer, and when Derby really needed a forward player to step up, Ravel's the guy coming up with two. And I'm sure many of you have probably seen the first one, which was described by you know pundits all around the you know the kind of footballing world as something kind of befitting of that genius that we've all know that he's got because, you know, he came through the United Academy. I think Fergie described him as like, the best kid he's ever seen kind of thing. And this season, I think it's he's now equaled the most amount of appearances he's ever made in a league season for any one club this year for Derby. And at 29 years old, it seems like he's finally found a situation that, that works for him. So, Henri Brownlow uh, writes in, says, I started the save by looking at all of the young talent available to me and thought I'd try an exciting tactic to get the most out of them. I started off with an asymmetric 4-1-1-3-1. I was playing controlled possession to get all my best players in the team, and it started well. Won three of my first six games. I was already chipping away at that points deduction. Unfortunately, I went on to win two out of my next 30 games. Didn't get a takeover till late December, so no signings until mid to late January. And by then, I was a broken shell of a man. I got confirmation that I was relegated in late February. Still got 19 points in the last 16 games to give them something to stop crying about. But uh, Henri Brownlow will begin season two in the third division. 
Now, we have so many of these um, that we're really squeezing them in. But if you check out The Athletic tomorrow, by which I mean Thursday, which may actually be today, depending on when you listen to this, uh, there'll be a big article in there with loads of your tweets and loads of stories that you've got. So check that out. Elias, in real life, if Derby were to go down, assuming a takeover doesn't happen, um, what what would happen to them? Would they be in a position where they can bounce back with young players or does it just get worse and worse and worse? Derby are in a quite unfortunate position that there are over 10 people or 10 players rather with their contract expiring at the end of the season. So it's a case of can they find that takeover in real life like so many people have been able to do on the game pretty quickly. I mean, on the game, I think I got taken over on transfer deadline day of the first window so I had a bit of time to wheel and deal and sign a new play a few players to uh to new contracts and stuff but Rooney hasn't been able to do that as of yet it's still kind of in the balance really on that situation on whether this new owner will be will be taken over the club before the end of the season and then they can sign players to new deals and stuff but there are still players you know very saleable assets so Max Bird is under a long contract Jason Knight Louis Sibley who have all kind of attracted interest from Premier League and Championship clubs. So there's definitely players to sell there to kind of boost the finances and you know reinvest into the playing squad for next season. So it's it's a very much a case of can they keep hold of their a lot of their young players and keep hold of some of the experienced heads as well. So you know you look at the likes of Curtis Davis who might be willing to sign a new contract for next season. There's Richard Stearman of course as well. And even the likes of Raval Morrison because you think He's played in all over the world. He's played in Sweden, in Mexico, in uh, the Netherlands as well. So really, this year is the first time he's kind of had any stability. So you have to think, why would he kind of want to end that and uh, try and find somewhere new where he's really kind of settled here with a lot of people that he likes, a lot of players that he's played with before. So there's definitely potential for next season. It's a really kind of unclear situation, though, as as we look at the administration situation and the finances and stuff. But there's definitely promise. Christy Taylor, huge fan of the show. <laughs> Welcome aboard. I really enjoyed following the Sunderland Community Challenge, so decided to take the plunge of Derby. I was quietly confident. I looked at the squad. I thought I could see potential. I was wrong. A dreadful pre-season capped off by nearly losing the dressing room after a dispute with Lee Buchanan. False dawns all over the place, seven games without a win. I began fantasising about the future, planning a Holly Percival-style career resurgence in the lower leagues. I decided to take one last throw of the dice, do something I'd always previously resisted. I stopped trusting the process. I tore up my tactics. I pushed the line forward, turned on counter-pressing. Ah, if I was going out, I was going out in style. But instead... Christy Taylor is unbeaten in five. Belix back in training, transfer bans lifted, eight points after 25 games. Maybe there's some hope there after all. I, I would say maybe there's some, not, not a huge amount. Christy also asks if I can do some Crusader Kings content soon. I would love to, but it feels like I'm already pushing my luck. Um, but, you know, let's see what we can squeeze in. What kind of tactical plan are Derby executing in real life, Elias? They play a 4-2-3-1 most commonly. Obviously, you're going to get Bielik back in January time, and it's he's part of the kind of midfield duo that he, with with Max Bird. Normally, Luke Plange plays as kind of a lone striker, and Tom Lawrence off the left. It's a pretty similar situation to what I've got actually going on the game. So I play a four-three-three. Still waiting for Bielik to come back, of course. But I've got Bird and and uh, and Jason Knight, who most commonly plays as a number ten or on the right wing for Derby. 
there's a kind of a scope for a lot of change. So he's comp he's experimented with three at the back occasionally in a, a four five one. But on the weekend he played yeah a four two three one, which I'd say is probably the most common formation for Derby this year. So that's Raval playing behind the striker and then Lawrence off the left, Plange up front, and then on the right tends to be a kind of tricky situation. Um, Kamil Yozuyak, who you probably got on the on the game, he looks set to depart for the MLS now. Uh, so Derby going to be without one one other player, uh, which has kind of hamstrung them in that department. But yeah, four two three one, four at the back, and th- kind of three forward players tends to be the most common situation that that Rooney goes for. Fantastic. Well, that is the first part of the community challenge. So it's onwards for the second half of the season now. Most of you will have the ability to bring in players on some basis. Uh, can I, without giving any spoilers away, recommend the Manchester City under-23 squad? Rich pickings to be had there. Um, keep us informed. Tell us how it's going. You can email me on imacintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter, Ian underscore games. Elias, where can we find you on Twitter? At Elias Burke. Perfect. Excellent stuff. We will catch up with you again, hopefully next week. Sounds good. It's time for your letters, or at least your non-Derby County-related letters. Uh, you know how to get in touch. I am Macintosh at theathletic.com or Ian underscore games. Producer Steve, who have we got? First up is George Rowland, who says, first-time emailer, long-time listener. First of all, congratulations on your silverware with Newcastle, Ian. So congrats on winning the League Cup again. George has been managing a team who also wear black and white stripes, Bath City. And they've actually managed to bring them all the way from the National League South into the Premier League. In my first season, looking to play an incredibly sophisticated tactic of hoofing it up to the big lad up top, I stumbled across 196-centimetre, 18-year-old Derby County uh, academy graduate called Bartosz Sibolski. After a few seasons on loan, I snapped him up permanently. He eventually led us into the championship as top goal scorer in League One, chipped in here and there in the championship, and he's still around as deep cover up front in my first season in the Premier League. Now, his question is, has anyone out there managed to have a player stay with the team across a similar stretch from bottom, actually slightly outside of the English Football League, to the top of the tree in the English Pyramid? Doesn't happen very often, even in real life. I can only really think of, uh, well, Steve Finham being the classic case of playing non-league football and winning the Champions League. Doesn't really happen very often in this game either, purely for the fact that if you start at the bottom, you're probably not going to have any players. I mean, you need a couple of seasons for new gens to come in. Just on the off chance, you get a, a freakishly talented new gen. So I, I couldn't think of anyone who'd come up through the ranks with me. So if you've had someone do that, even if it's a new gen, uh, give us a shout. Let us know. Next up is Alan Harborn, and Alan writes in to say, firstly, love the pod. Thank you very much. And he was very upset when SI decided not to release the touch version of it or make a touch version of FM22. Therefore, Alan decided to give the full fat version a go for the first time in five years. And Alan says, whilst I can't bang out a season in a week, the gratification from any sort of success is far higher. Uh, your pod served as an induction into the new ways of working and was vital in getting me through the first month. So thank you. You're more than welcome, Alan. It's what we're here for. It's our raison d'etre more than anything else so Alan says in my latest save I'm trying to make Sevilla a European powerhouse finished second behind Real Madrid in the first season and made some canny deals in the summer most crucially Ian one you'll uh, love Andrea Bellotti on a free transfer (laughs) but the deal I made with the devil 
is the transfer that keeps me up at night. I bought Gavi from Barcelona for £10 million. Sounds like a bargain, to be honest. But had to accept a buyback clause. Now I fear they'll snap him back up as soon as a clause activates. I know you can often buy out clauses or bonuses in transfers. The board can negotiate a beneficial reduction. Is there anything that can be done to get me out of this? Now, as you heard earlier in the show, we had Nick Madden and CJ Rampson on from Sports Interactive about goalkeepers. We additionally off-air asked them about this and what did they say, Ian? They said there is a chance that there are kind of time-limited buyback clauses that, that might expire at some point. But if you haven't got that, you're fucked, mate. <laughs> um, there's there's no coming out of that. Unfortunately, you signed the contract. You've got to live with the consequences. I do feel terrible for you because uh, I can imagine how frustrating that is. But, you know, out of every darkest moment is, is a learning experience. Absolutely. And as Alan ends his letter with a nice bit of poetry, quoting Tennyson, it is better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. So you're going to have to love and lose, I think, Alan, I'm afraid. Ah, you never know. Barcelona might not have any money anyway. Uh, who's to say? What else we got? Joel Watts is next. He says, absolutely love the show. It's really engaged me back into the game and I look forward to your Friday Newcastle United updates on The Athletic, Ian. You mentioned superstitions in the last episode and I was thinking I can't be the only one that during penalty shootouts genuinely believe that if I, by somehow clicking on my own goalkeeper that will give him some sort of superpower to save the upcoming penalty kick. I know this doesn't work, but I still do it to this day, and I have done since the CM days. Another superstition includes pausing when I get scared of an opposition attack, thinking this will somehow skip the highlight and make it all go away. Uh, what do you think about that, Ian? Yeah, well, I can confirm that last one definitely doesn't work. <laughs> and while I haven't tried clicking the goalkeeper, I don't think that that does either. Um I I have a couple of my own. I'm one going way back. I used to tap my desk in the hope that it would kickstart a highlight that would end favourably to me. It didn't take long to figure out that wasn't working, but it worked like two or three times in quick succession. So, you know, there was something to grab. But one that I absolutely believe in very, very profoundly is if you're in an important game, and you know you like you need a you need a win to get in the Champions League places or something like that. If you check the live league table, you will concede. You will you will lose that game. And and that has a hundred percent happened every single time I've ever done it. Just a sneaky little oh, what does that win do? Does that get me up there? Bang, you've blown it. I'm assuming you told yourself to stop doing checking the league table. Oh yeah, absolutely. But then <laughs> herein lies the rub. I've just played a Newcastle game for the for the FM Newcastle Challenge in which I did not check the live league table and they still scored a last minute winner. So sometimes, sometimes you know, they're going to get you. Absolutely. And any more of those um, superstitions do send them in. Right. Final letter of today's episode is from Mike Ray. And he asks, what career path gets me to a top team, preferably Newcastle, uh, in the best time? So... I started in the National League North at Gateshead, won the league on the last day and was named Manager of the Year. In Season 2, I finished third in the National League, losing in the playoffs. I was promoted to League 2 in Season 3 and struggling championship sides started offering me jobs. So what is the best thing to do? I've got a juggernaut of youngsters at Gateshead and it looks like I'll be near the top of League 2 in terms of salary. Now, these are his words. Do I try to ride my boys on up? 
Or do I take the bad championship team job and do the whole thing over again, stripping it bare and rebuilding that struggling championship club? If I get relegated in the midst of all of it and, and get sacked, all of my desirability may fizzle out. What's an ambitious manager to do? Well, look, ultimately, it depends what kind of game you want. I and mean, I'm still haunted by the Norwich save where I'd taken them off the bottom of the championship into the Premier League, into the Champions League. And I left because I felt, not unreasonably, that Tottenham was a bigger club that gave me more chance to fulfil my ambition. But, yeah, within games of leaving it, I just regretted it so hard because they were my boys. I built them, the under-18s, the under-21s, the full squad. It really, really hurt. But equally... You know, you might be wanting to try one of those career games where where your objective is not just to you know cultivate a lovely little family, but but actually get to the top by any means possible. In which case, it's always worth treating it like buying shares. You you look for the fundamentals. Who's fallen on short term hard times, um, but with long term ability to get back. You're looking for big stadia. You're looking for a decent squad. Make sure there's some quality there. Ideally, some evidence of finance, which you can check out through the transfer history. Um, but the other thing you can do is go check out the manager history as well, because if they're dumping a manager every season, then this is this is not the one to uh, this is this is not the horse to hitch your cart to. Is that a saying? I think that's a saying. I think so. There are thereabouts. Yeah. So be, be careful. Be careful. And that's all the time we've got for Letters. So many today. We'll try and squeeze more in next week. If you want to get in touch, it's imacintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter. And that was the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. Your guests today were Sports Interactive's Nick Madden and CJ Ramson, and The Athletic's own Elias Burke. Your producer was Steve Hankey, and I am a ghost, driving a meat-covered skeleton, riding a rock which is floating through space. The Athletic.